when Amy and I came back uh, from America, we were there for three and a half years, as we uh, often remind you. It was early 2012, and we didn't have any plan for what we would do next. We just sensed on January the 1st, 2012, as we were walking around Newport Beach, um, uh, that God said, it's time to leave. And that was a very, in many ways, difficult thing to hear, because if you've ever been to Newport Beach, you know it's a very hard place to leave. It's a beautiful place. But we knew that that was God speaking. We, we'd sense we weren't going to be there forever. And in that moment, it was a sense of, this is the now time. Um, and so we did leave. And, and we came back uh, to the UK. And we didn't have any, any plan. We didn't have any job. We had one child. Grace, at that point, was just coming up to be one. She was, uh, we left in March. And she was, her first birthday was in March as well. We knew it was right to be back. We didn't know what we were going to go back to. And like we've all done, when you're praying for a specific word from God, you are desperately crying out to God for an answer. You know, you're just, you're doing everything. You're going through the, the, all the tricks in the book, fasting, you know, praying on my knees, praying on my feet, praying on my hands, praying on my face, praying on my back, anything just to get God to give a specific word of guidance. And of course, as is normally the case, he didn't. Or often the case, he didn't give a specific word, but what he did give was a scripture. And the scripture he gave uh, to me, and the scripture that Amy and I really journeyed with in that period was from Jeremiah 6. And it says this, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient path where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. That was the word, Jeremiah 6.16. It's about standing, asking, watching, looking, and then walking in the good way. Stuck with us in that period, and it's stuck with us ever since. And there's a phrase in there that we've been looking at and trying to unpack in these last few weeks uh, in this series, the ancient paths. And that's the phrase. Walk in the ancient paths. Look for the ancient paths where the good way is, and you will find rest for your souls. And I think that one of the things that we feel Trinity has is, is got to bring to this city and maybe to each of our lives is an exploration of the ancient paths. The paths, the practices, the ways of doing the Christian life, spirituality, whatever you want to call it, that Jesus intended his people to explore. And some people might use the term spiritual disciplines. I think that's sometimes an unhelpful term. I mean, it's not, you know, discipline never sold anything, did it? <laughs> And the point, though, of these practices, these ancient paths, is the destination, is Jesus. And we've been looking and wanting to look at these ancient paths over the last few weeks because we know that the point is rest. The point is life, that we would discover the life that's truly life, which is found in Jesus. Dallas Willard, who's somebody who was, um, wrote a lot in this sort of area, died a few years ago. He said this, he said, salvation is a life. What he meant by this, I, I think, is that salvation is not just this sort of um, a, crossing, uh, a crossing over that none of us would recognize. It was some, something that, a legal declaration. It's not just a legal declaration about our status, although it is that. Salvation is much bigger than that. It's actually about transferring us from one kingdom Darkness and death to another life and peace. And salvation is the walking forward in that life. So if you're, if you're saved, if, you're, if, you're, if you are somebody who has experienced salvation, that should feel, that you should experience that in a real way in the middle of your life. Not just know it as some truth that's distant and abstract. 
Does that make sense? Salvation is a life. And that life, the scripture makes clear, is to be received through grace. In other words, you don't initiate the, the receiving of that life. It is a gift to you. Ephesians 2 talks about this, doesn't it? You were dead in your transgressions. Christ made you alive. You're given this gift. It's not something you earn. It's something you receive. But yet, it is something you practice. The life of following Jesus is something we are intended to practice. And I think that is something we have lost. That recognition is something we've lost in the church. That what Jesus is calling us into as his disciples is to practice his ways. It's actually to live as he lived. So that we could say to Jesus every morning, how would you live if you were me? What would you do today if you were me? And as we begin to ask that question, we begin to explore these ancient paths. And this is what we see. At the end of that ancient path, it's not a pot of gold, but it's the Lord Jesus himself. It's the life that he has for us, which is truly life. That's what this series is all about. And we've been looking at, at those paths. And Will started us off by talking about practices in general a few weeks ago. Then the second week, I think it was, that Josie spoke to us about the Lord's Prayer, which is part of Jesus' teaching. It's also part of our daily practice. We pray that every day at midday. Then last week, Will introduced the Psalms. And the next two weeks, today and next week, um, we're going to be talking about praise, which is part of what the Psalms teach us. And then in th- the third week, we're going to be talking about lament which is also a really important part of the Psalms. So we're going to be talking about praise today. And we, and we pick up in Psalm 145, this incredible sort of picture of praise. And this psalm, uh, it says is a psalm of, of, of praise, a psalm of David. You can see that just below the psalm number. Before you get into the psalm proper, it says that. But I guess we need to begin by asking the question, what is Praise. Because I don't know about you, when I hear the word praise, like I'm transported back to primary school and I went to a Church of England primary school and my dad was the vicar of the local church. So for me, praise takes me back to the age of seven years old and I'm sitting in the assembly with my knees crossed and my legs crossed, which I can't do anymore, I'm not flexible enough. I'm sitting there looking at the front and, and dad's leading the assembly and, and there's a moment of, of recognition and honestly utter revulsion as I see that dad has brought his guitar and he's brought the guitar with the rainbow strap, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's done. And, uh, <laughs> and that feeling of revulsion and shame, maybe, maybe that be characterized my early experiences of praise. Or maybe for you it's a campfire and it's come by ah. Praise, this word praise has this connotation, I think, in our culture. We don't really use it in the wider culture. Maybe in the church culture of something that's slightly twee. Slightly cheesy, um, not something we'd really, it's not, certainly not courageous and bold and passionate. But actually when we read the Psalms, that we, see, we see there's a completely different picture of praise to that. It's not socks and sandals, which by the way I've recently begun to bring back <laughs> with Bo at the back there. I'm doing that now. That's not the vision of praise we see in the, in the scripture though. It's something a lot more um, lively. Real, passionate, honest, raw, gutsy, gritty. Psalm 145 is all about praise. Actually, if you're interested in this kind of thing, this psalm is an acrostic poem. 
So you may have learned about this at primary school. That's where every new line begins with the next letter of the alphabet. There's, there are eight of these in the Psalms, and this is the last of the, of the eight. And the title indicates what the psalm's all about. It's a psalm of praise of David. In, in, in other words, the whole point of this psalm is praise. And we see that in verses 1 and 2. I will exalt you, my God the King. I'll praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Praise is mentioned seven times in this psalm. Once in the introduction, six times in the rest of the psalm. And praise, this word praise, in the English word at least for praise, is used 230 times in the psalms. 419 times in the whole Bible. Over half of the times the word praise is used in the scriptures, it's used in the Psalms. So whatever else we're going to say about praise, we have to say this. If you're going to understand the Psalms, if you're going to understand the ancient paths that God wants us to walk on, we need to understand what praise is. It's not something that's twee and, and, and unnecessary, but for the Christian, for the person who is following Christ on his path, praise is essential. It's absolutely central. We could break uh, into four, roughly speaking, the, the, the reasons that David praises. And we're just going to very briefly look at those. I want to make some wider comments. But verses 4 to 7, we see that David praises God for his saving works. One generation commends your works to another. Your works, they tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. The power of your awesome works. I'll proclaim your great deeds they celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. That The first reason to praise, David says, in this psalm is what God has done in saving his people. Now often David speaks really personally. You know that if you've read the psalms, if you're reading them with us every day. He talks, doesn't he, using personal imagery. He says, you're my, my rock, my refuge. He often uses the language of shelter. Um, and it's really personal. Here it is more general, the picture. But the picture is of God's salvation, God's saving acts. That's one of the reasons David says we're to praise. Every one of us has some kind of testimony, some kind of story of, of, of God's saving activity in our lives. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you may not see it, but let me tell you this. God is at work in your life. The reason that you're here this morning is because God is doing something in your life. He's, he, he's, he's turned up the volume in some way. He's drawn you here in some way, and that might be difficult for, to, for you to believe at this point, but it's true. God is, is at work. He's at work in our city. You know that? God is, God's saving activity is, that he's, he's doing stuff all over the place. Here's a secret. We don't talk about it very often in church. He's doing it outside the church. All over the place. God is not particularly, God's salvation is never limited to Certainly not these walls or any the walls of any other church. In fact, the problem the church most often has is it misunderstands that. And it's constantly it's looking around for all the things God would be doing in here. And he's saying, yeah, I'm doing stuff in here. But I'm doing loads of stuff out there. And if you go and have a look, you might join in with what I'm doing. You know, there are so many more reasons to praise God hidden out there. Well, maybe they're not hidden. They're in full view. They're in your workplace. Reasons for you to praise God. Opportunities for you to praise God. They're in your workplace. They're in your families. 
They're on your street. They're in your neighbor's house. Hidden in plain sight. If only the church would open their eyes, we'd have reasons to praise. God's saving activities. The first reason we praise. Secondly, verses 8 to 9. God's compassionate character. I love this. The Lord's gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger. Rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He's good. Do you know God is good? Do you know that the core conviction at the heart of Christianity is this? God is good. And he loves you. It's so good he sent his son to die for you. Talking about this with our daughter Grace just yesterday, talking about the cross, we don't always do this. We're not that family. We're trying to become maybe more like that family. You know, and I said, what's what's the cross about? And we just had this very simple conversation. It's God, God loves you so much that he wanted you to be alive with him forever. And he was willing to trade his own life for your life. He's good to all. He has compassion on all he's made. Second reason we praise, David calls us to praise, is God's compassionate character. The third reason, verses 10 to 13, we see uh, God's glorious kingdom. All your works praise you, Lord, back into the works. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom. Uh, and then we see again uh, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion, which is another word for kingdom, really, endures through all generations. Five words. It's all about the kingdom. We praise God because of his kingdom, because he's the king of his kingdom. He's worthy of praise because of who he is. He's compassionate, but he's also the king. Finally, we praise God in this Psalm 13, verse, second half of verse 13 through to 20. We see that we praise God because of his because of provision, his faithful provision. We don't have time to break it down, but what we see is God's help for the inadequate, verse 14, that he upholds all who fall. He gives food to the hungry, that's verse 15, his provision. Uh, thirdly, we see that he answers our prayers, that's verse 18. And 19, he hears their cry and saves them. It says in verse 20, we, see his, we praise him for his protection. The Lord watches over those who love him. So many reasons to praise. So many reasons the psalmist gives us, David gives us to praise. What is praise? Praise is what we have to offer God for who he is and what he's done. Praise is what we offer God for who he is and what he's done. Forget the guitar with a rainbow strap. Praise is the outpouring of a grateful heart. Praise is what you do if you're grateful. Grateful people are praise-filled people. We're to be a people of praise. Let's drill down a bit. The problem we have in the English language, and some of you have come across this when trying to describe, tell somebody that you love them. If you're trying to say to somebody you love them in English, it's quite difficult. Because you don't have a lot of words. In fact, we've only got one word for love in English, and it's love. Right? So when I say to Amy, I love you, Amy. And I do, darling, love you. I hope you forgive me for that comment about the orange shirt earlier. <laughs> you are very tanned. <laughs> when I say to Amy, I love her, and then I turn the next, de- the next moment and say, you know what, I really love sushi. I, lo- I love sushi. You know, and I, I, I love Manchester City. 
Are you a blue? You can come again. You see, there's a problem here, isn't it? Because my love for Amy is not like my love for Manchester City or my love for sushi. They're completely different. It's not just different levels. They're completely different things. That's not the case in the biblical language. There are many more words. and won't go into the details of that in love, but it's the same with praise. And in fact, the English word for praise, the Hebrew has seven different equivalents. And I want to spend a bit of time, if we're going to drill down on what praise is, we need to know what these words are so we can understand how we should be praising God. And the first word for praise that we see in the scripture is this word halal. And it means to rave, to shine, to boast, to show, to celebrate, to be, I love this one, clamorously foolish, to act madly, to shine. We just got a dog, by the way, puppy, incredible little thing. And you open the door, you open the cage, crate, I'm not supposed to call it a cage, the crate door in the morning, and that dog goes crazy. That dog acts madly, it goes, it's clamorously foolish, jumping, we're trying to train it to stop doing that, jumping and bounding and leaping and just all over the place, it's rave, that dog knows how to rave. I wonder if when you think of praising, you think of raving. I wonder if that's what you think about, it's probably not. But actually this word halal is the primary Hebrew word for praise. And it's the word from which we get the the word we use, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we don't say hallelujah that often, but if we do, it's probably because we found our keys that were lost. (laughs) Hey guys, just just to let you in a secret, that's not exactly what the, 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 the psalmists mean. Hallelujah, I found my keys. Isn't that wonderful? Move on. No, hallelujah. To, to say hallelujah is something far more passionate and wholehearted. I started going to a prayer meeting a little while ago. It happens on Wednesday mornings. I hope I can say this. But, and Don, uh, who's sitting at the back over there, invited Raise your hand, Don. Don invited me to this prayer meeting. It's, um, Men United for Christ is what it's called. I, I'm slightly disturbed by that because that, the, the acronym is that is MUFC which is Manchester United Football Club, which is a terrible thing, and yet, <laughs> nonetheless, God is there. And the, I tell you what, the, the first time I went to that prayer meeting, they meet, it would be fair to say, for me at least, fairly early in the morning. And I turned up bleary-eyed, uh, it's in Baseford, I turned up, and, and I don't know what I expected, I think I expected maybe the kind of prayer meeting that, that I run. <laughs> and it, let me just tell you very clearly, it was not like anything I'd ever seen before. See, two things struck me uh, that I, I think will live with me for a long time. The first was the noise. Oh, the noise. It was uh, almost deafening. Not, not in, a, in, a, in, a, in a wonderful way. It was extraordinary. I could hear it outside. It was praise music, but what I could hear more than even the praise music, which was quite loud, was the people, the men, crying out to God. And that was the first thing that struck me. The second thing that was struck me was the content of their prayer. The word I heard more than any other word was alleluia. And what struck me about the prayers was that almost everything they said was them telling God who he is. I just, I, I just don't pray like that. I'm learning how to pray like that from them. The, 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 the vast majority of what was said was, was telling him who he is and praising him for it. It was extraordinary. And the sense of God's presence in that place of praise was, was really wonderful. And it's that that keeps about 30 plus men every week 
and sometimes more, and there's many more involved, just going every week between silly o'clock and not so silly o'clock on a Wednesday morning. It was extraordinary and incredible moment where I recognized that alleluia, to be clamorously foolish, to rave to God, is something that I hadn't really seen before. That's the first word, halal. The second word is the word yada, yada. This, comes, uh, this word comes up 111 times in the Bible. And it literally means this. This is one of my favorites. To, it literally means to throw out the hand, to worship with an extended hand. It's the same verb is, is used in the Old Testament to talk about throwing a spear. Love that. Throwing a spear. You might not be left-handed. Throwing a spear. That's... That's Yadah, to throw the spear. It's the idea of God's people raising hands like arrows being shot. Amazing picture of like, not just wholehearted, but whole-bodied worship. And by the way, this kind of worship happens all over our culture. Talked about my beloved Manchester City. Now, I used to have season tickets for Manchester City when I used to live in Manchester. I grew up there. And every week you'd see, you'd see, you know, it's before City were rich and it was when we were rubbish. You'd see, you know, 30,000 men and women gathered just raising their hands for the players. To clap and to scream when we scored. It's like, it didn't happen very often, but it was like, everybody, everybody just exulting. Yadaring the players and, and the whole thing. You know, and I went to see, similar, similar, it happens in music as well. I went to see Coldplay, this is just a bit of a name drop. I went to see Coldplay play. In LA this last year, Rose Bowl is outside in the sun. And, you know, every, I don't know if you've been to see Coldplay, probably some of you have, but you get these wristbands that light up. And as they play their songs, you put your wristband in the air, yeah? And it's dark, and so all of the other wristbands are like, are on as well, and the wristbands just kind of pulse different colors. As they're playing different songs, different colors come on. It's this picture of unity. As everyone who puts their hands up, that is Yadah. And so often in church, we, can, we don't see that same level as, of passion as we see in the midst of our culture. We, don't see, we see it. There are pockets and we see it in moments, but we don't often see it. That's what praise is. Praise is yada. Psalm 145, verse 10. All your works, it says, yada you. All your works, yada you. I remember the first time I ever yadaed. The soul survivor as a kid. Just a kid, probably about 11 years of age. And I, I remember that, that the worship was uh, just wonderful. There was a, it, was, it was passionate. And I was sort of building up. I didn't come from this sort of scene, church scene necessarily. But I came and I warmed up over the course of the week. And by the end of it, you know, we were doing, this is, don't judge me, this is the 90s. We were doing the conga, folks. You done the conga? You haven't lived if you haven't done the conga in worship. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. We were doing the conga. We were going for it, hands in the air. And I was just an 11-year-old. I was just loving it, just totally in. And God, God, that week was hugely significant for me in terms of my story of faith. And I remember my dad picking me up and going back in the car and just wanting to My dad led the church that we worked at, or we sorry, went to. He worked there. And telling him basically on the way up everything that we needed to do differently. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next Sunday, getting into church and thinking, great, awesome. And I stood in St. James and Emmanuel in Disbury, wonderful church, and the, the band struck up. <laughs> Didn't sound quite the same. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. 
And my parents were there. How awkward. And I was standing next to my sister. And they'd never seen me do this. And my friends were there and their parents. And oh, and it was just like, <laughs> can I just get a hand? Can I get a hand above the shoulder? No, it's not the same. Yadar was a lot more difficult in that environment. But to extend the hand in worship to Yadar has nothing to do with the quality of the band. The question is not how was the worship. The question is always how was your worship? What did you bring? Did you bring Yadar this morning? Did you offer him what he deserves because of who he is? Because of his saving acts? Because of his compassionate character? Because of his provision and protection, did you bring what he deserves? He's the king. Yadar is often difficult, particularly for those of us who are more introverted. But these things are commands. And there comes a tipping point in our lives, I think, where we say, you know, beyond my personality, beyond my proclivity, my convictions, beyond anything like that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. Because he is so good. He's, I, what does David say when he brings the ark back into Israel, back into Jerusalem? I will become even more undignified than this. I'll be, I'll be abased, the old, old versions of the Bible say, in my own eyes. I don't care what anyone thinks of me because of who he, who he is is far more important than who people think I am. Yada, that's praise. Thirdly, Shabbat, and we'll spin on here. Go a bit quicker, but to shabak is to address in a loud tone, to commend, to triumph, to exclaim, to glorify, to extol, to shout. To make exuberant statements as to the goodness of someone. Psalm 145, again, verse 4. One generation shabaks your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. There was this one time while we were in California. And we led this prayer meeting called Third Wednesday, and we do it here now, imaginatively titled. We're doing that this uh, next month, September. Uh, and, and we had a wonderful time of praise. We'd done some yadah, we'd done some halal. And I just sensed the Spirit of God saying, it's time to shabak. And I didn't know that word then, but it's t- I think I just sensed him say, there's to be a roar here. We're going we're gonna to have to shout. And I said, I don't think you mean that, God. You can't possibly mean that. Do you not know I'm British? <laughs> we, I don't shabak. And if, if uh, Americans shabak, they hoop, they hoop and holler, as they say. You know, they whoop and holler. But I'm British, and I don't know if shabacking is a good idea. And he said, no, shabacking is what I have in mind. <laughs> so I said, well, okay. <laughs> so I just introduced it in the sort of most sort of, you know, a few, you know, sort of like, diffident way I could possibly imagine I kept my eyes down looked at the floor and said look I, oh, this is probably me but I just wonder if God is saying that maybe it'd be good for us to raise up a shout and here's how I think we're going to and look let's try and make should we try and do this for 30 seconds you know that's what I said let's try and do it for 30 seconds maybe a minute and let's just just raise raise a voice to God and and um, and, and you know and then I sort of just got oh Lord <laughs> okay here it goes three two one go and what came, can, I can only describe as a holy roar. And it didn't just, like, it, was de- it was almost deafening, deafening. These couple hundred people, 300 people gathered in this room began to, to roar, the roar. It was a holy roar, it was Shabbat. And it didn't last for 30 seconds, it didn't last for a minute, it lasted for almost five minutes. Five minutes, it's a long time when all you're doing is roaring. 
it was incredible. It was, it was a wonderful and unbelievable moment of worship to Shabbat. You know what's fascinating to me about Shabbat in here in verse, verse 4? One generation Shabbats your works to another. One of the key callings, I think, that's on Trinity is to Shabbat the works of God to the next generation. That's why we always talk about Trinity kids. I think what's happening in there, and I happen to know this morning they're watching sing. <laughs> but what's happening in there is the most important thing that happens in this church. I think if, if, God, if God would give us the grace of passing on the faith to the next generation, be a wonderful thing, not just the next generation through bear, the next generation in this city. The church is only ever one generation away from extinction. What about multiplication? What about if God sent us out to, to reach the young? All of us, the young and the old, in the middle, in this place, to go and, and provide a home and a space for, for young people to come and experience homecoming. It's one of the things I think God's given. It's not just for the parents. Although, let me challenge you, parents. How are you shabaking? How are you passing on your faith to the next generation? Because if you're not doing it, the, know this, that the culture is shabaking to your children all the time. You know, the culture is, is shabaking the values of materialism, hedonism. Saying you are how you appear. The culture is saying things to our children all the time. It's our job as the church, all of us, not just the parents here, to Shabbat, to shout God's truth to the next generation. Shabbat, fourthly, Zamar, to touch or to pluck the strings. 41 times you see this in the Psalms. So the biblical idea of having the reading of a scripture accompanied by music. What we do is biblically mandated. More than a third of the psalms are addressed to the director of music. This is a prayer book, but it became quite quickly accompanied by music. Some of the psalms encourage the worshipper to sing them out. Others actually offer headings of what instruments should be used. Many were written for choirs as well. Something precious happens when we combine scripture and music. I'm going to talk a bit more about what praise does next week, but something special happens. There's one story of, of Louise. Many of you know Louise. And uh, you know the story, a little bit of the story of Louise and her husband, George. This time last year, I'd never met Louise. This time last year, Louise had no background in faith, nor did George whatsoever. <clears throat> but George was diagnosed December two years ago uh, with bowel cancer. And he went through a number of treatments and uh, initially it looked like they were overcoming um, the cancer. But then in August last year, quite quickly it returned and it, and it got very bad very quickly. And Louise, in a moment of utter desperation, went out into the middle of the countryside. She'll share this story with you. She will share it with us all. And shouted, I guess it, was a, it, it wasn't a Shabbat, but she shouted to God and she said, if you're real, you've got to do something now. Uh, I don't have time to tell you the details, but God sent somebody to do something about it. And that person was somebody she'd never met. And they got introduced at a wedding to a friend of a friend. That person ended up going to her, George's hospital room. And the first thing that person did, in the midst of this uh, unimaginable pain that George was in on his bed, she played some worship music. She read some scripture. They took, they broke bread, they took communion. They couldn't get wine in there. It's a hospital, so they did grape juice, Ribena. 
and, and that she prayed for the presence of God to come. And the combination of those things was the beginning of a transformation in their lives. George's pain disappeared in that moment. Uh, the next morning, Louise went in and, and George just was sat upright in bed. He'd been unable to eat or drink or anything. He'd been in such pain. He, uh, he just wanted his life to end there and then. And, and, and in that moment, uh, she went in and George's pain had gone. Hadn't had any painkillers, but his pain had disappeared. He died a few, years, a few days later, full uh, in, of the presence of God. I went in twice before his death and I never rarely experienced a sense of God's presence like that. Worship was the gateway into God's presence. Zamar. Fifth word, todah. An extension of the hand in adoration by way of acceptance, often used in thanks for things not yet received. That wonderful todah, to todah God, to praise him in that way is is to praise him for what he's done but what he's yet to do. This, I think this is a particularly precious praise to God. It's the praise for what God is yet to do. It's the praise of faith. We all have reason to praise him in this way for the things not yet done. Maybe you, you want to praise him in this way. You want to todah for what is not yet done in your work life, in your career. Maybe for what is not yet done in your spiritual life. Maybe for what is not yet done in your marriage. Maybe for what is not yet done in your family. It's the, it's the extension of a hand for what he's, got, he's still yet to do. That's what it means to todah. Psalm 50, 23, those who offer todah honor me. Sixthly, barak. 289 times this word is used in the psalm. It means to kneel down, to bow, to salute, to bless God as a means of adoration. This image is about going into the presence of, king, of a king and never breaking eye contact. Because of the the unimaginable worth of the king. Think of that as a picture of praise, to come into this place. As soon as the worship, as the music strikes up, as soon as we, we start doing the, the Zamar and the, and the Todah, straight away we're saying, Barak, my eyes are fixed on him. I don't care about what's happening next to me. I'm just looking, I'm not born to break eye contact with him. And the picture here in, of praise is a picture of, of incredible intimacy. Isn't it? Have you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody in the street or even in church and not to break eye contact? It's really difficult. I need to finish. It's really difficult not to break eye t- contact with somebody when you're, con- when, you're, when you're talking to them. But when we do that with praise with God, it honors him. Barak. Tehillah is the final one, the seventh. It's derived from the word halal and it means the singing of halals. It's a particularly a new unrehearsed and spontaneous song hymn of the spirit this is the song that no one else can sing for you tehillah is the song of your testimony often in worship there's a time where where nobody's singing or praising or saying anything maybe the the worship leader begins to sing their own song and you're really annoyed because the words aren't on the screen how am I going to sing along with this sing one I know now that's the moment for, for your tehillah to begin That's the moment for you to begin praising God for what he's done in your life. And there may not be a song written for it yet. There may not be a song for the fact that you were born, that I was born in West Yorkshire in a mining town and and God birthed me into a church experience where it was full of the power and presence of God. And then I moved at the age of seven to a place, Manchester, a completely different environment. 
And God brought me into a great church and into an experience of his goodness. And I experienced the spirit as a young child. And my teenagers were really difficult. I was very badly bullied. There's no song about that. There's no song about the fact that God led me through it. And that God, uh, uh, that God took me to university where my faith collapsed. My life uh, collapsed. I've, I walked away from him. And he came after me. He led me to London. He led me to a church where I was just welcomed for who I was. Even though I didn't get it, even though I didn't want to get it, I was so angry that he called me back into his presence, into his family. There's no song for that. You can't sing that song. Only I can sing that song. What's your tailor? What song can you sing? Each of us has a song to sing. I want to close with a challenge. These church are commands. This is not, they don't come with an asterisk by them saying if you fancy it, if your personality allows it, if you grew up in a charismatic environment. And I know for some of us it is going to be, one of the others is going to be easier. That's okay. We're all on a journey. We're all growing together. But this is one of the ancient paths, the path of praise. And the path of praise is the path into his presence. There's no place any of us would rather be than in his presence. And let me finish with this question. What might it do for you, for your life, if you practiced praise every day in one of these ways? If you raved, you shine, shone and you boasted of him as you halaled his name? If you threw your hands up exuberantly in your da? If you raised up a holy roar, a shabak, every day so the next generation in, your city, in this city could hear? If you zamad the, string, the strings of whatever instrument you can play in hope that the atmosphere in this city has changed, if, we, if you taudad for what you'd not yet received, if you barakt, always keeping your eyes on the king, if you tehlad your own songs to him, what would it do for your life if you did this? What would it do for our city if we did this? I vote we find out.